Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ew, everybody loves a lover. I'm a lover. Everybody loves me. Anyhow, that's right now for this that's so good that's the spirit this i mean commitment yeah we, normally you would be here with us in our bed mm. i'm sure you know we'll have another opportunity good. to do that someday um Hot one can only hope no. yeah exactly um but yes yeah, so welcome to another installment of beloved Number one podcast in bed with Nick and Megan. <laughs> um, number one in the ratings of my mind. Yeah. Um, We're number one in our category. In our sure. category yeah. of the podcasts that we do. That's we right. are number in, one. In my category, for sure. I Yay. mean, in my, in my mind as well. Yes. Yeah, so that uh, those dulcet tones belong to... Catherine Hahn, a beautiful, amazing, funny, incredible actress and writer. And uh, yeah, so let's see. How do we all know each other? I feel like you and I had met like here and there-ish at some mm-hmm. something. And then you and yeah. Nick did a movie together. Yeah. I mean, I, I had been kind of, I think, I think I had done a crossing. I had done a show called Crossing Jordan, which was a procedural on NBC while you were doing Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. And so I'd always seen you at kind of events and just had, I mean, worship, worship, worship to you <laughs> from afar. Oh. We, we were, I was always like the scrappy procedural behind at the like TCA events. I had seen you in a scene with, was it Paul Rudd where you guys like violently French each other? In some oh. movie. Well, no, no, the thing that for, oh, for me, so we're funny. wanderlust. No, and it, I was like, it? no, no, it, no, it's, it's, it's Adam Scott. It's in Step oh, Brothers. No, in Step Brothers where you, you and you and John C. Riley in the bathroom. Oh my God! I we just showed my kids that movie, and I realized I had to I had to fast forward every single scene I was in, like as, as if that I was not. I had to erase myself completely from well, that. Well, when you did that kiss, it really I was like, who is that? And I I I I, I like wrote your name down and was like, okay, we're gonna be friends. And then I did, and then exactly, and then I re like we re, we really got to know each other while we. Nick, you and I were doing um, were the Millers. That's right. And, and, and then, you guys we were had, shooting oh. in Santa Fe, right? And so then, and I went to visit, and then you and I went to dinner a couple of times. Yeah, the most beautiful place. Because, yeah, right, we didn't have, for some reason, like, I had a lot of off time in Santa Fe, so we got to spend some time together, you and I, Megan. Yeah, that was so, so awesome. Fun. And then I had already spent some time with you, Nick, on Parks. Right. Um, which was 
a dream. Oh, and, yeah. And also Philly Justice, the uh, oh, please the let's not forget imaginary Justice. lawyer procedural born of Parks. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best. And also, can I tell you that there? Were t- remember, there were T-shirts made of that show, and my daughter now that's her sleep shirt. Oh, nice! So I love that you know. I love that they went out of their way to pick a title for that fictitious show that was so exactly it could actually be a real. I mean, yeah. Instead of making it something just a little crazier, <laughs> right. they went full Philly justice. Philly justice. Philly. <laughs> Justice. It, it, Perfect. It wouldn't be denied between you and Rashida and Adam Scott and Rob Lowe and Paul Rudd. It, I mean, it was the dream cast of like. <laughs> yes. It was amazing. It was like and a 1993 lawyer yeah, show. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then remember, we actually shot like there was like a dedicated day or like a half a day. Like there was stuff shot. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. On your in your like courtroom. What happened to. I don't know what it's got to be out there somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. It was like a dedicated or just at least like a half a day. There was like a dedicated. It's like a trailer. A Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my it God. was <laughs> That's so Got funny. To find out Dylan. I can't, can't remember. Um, Where the Millers that. was a good movie. That was a fun movie. I remember you had a fake, you wore fake boobs that were like giant yes. droopy Midwestern boobs and yes. like beanbag. They were beanbags. Yeah. Swinging like, around. Like bird seed boobs. I just want, yeah. yes, exactly. <laughs> and then I had a fanny pack and my, uh, Step up, sketch like that. One of the shoes that were also like helped you exercise at the same time. Like, you remember those tennis <laughs> shoes? I bet, shape they, ups. I bet you got in really good shape from wearing those. Oh, that was actually a ball. I mean, I that was, um, I mean, Nick, that was so fun to work with you. That was, that was a ball. And I was like, couldn't believe how well it that movie turned out. Like, sometimes you have no idea, yeah, it's but really it really good. landed, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, special shout out must be voiced to Jennifer Aniston's mm. uh, pole dance in that movie because that oh. was mind blowing. It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, that woman is from another planet. She's so nice. She's I such know. a good actress. She's so funny. And then, I mean, one of the kindest, like most decent human beings. Yeah, no, she's a miracle. Yeah, for there's sure. the bad part. Um, so, and then, of course, uh, for those listening, you know Catherine from Mrs. Fletcher and mm. Transparent. Ooh, Transparent. Woo. So good. And uh, Fireworks. Yeah, I love Dick. Best title mm. of any show ever. That's uh, <laughs> based that's, on a book. That's great, honey, but let's get back to our oh, best. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just can't stop talking about it, guys. I really love it. She I just really loves do. Dick, guys. Look, I just want to say it. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a brief intermission. <laughs> uh, so many great things. And I love that you are so incredibly funny, but you've also been able to, you know, cross over into things that are more dramatic or at least have a balance of, you know, comedic and dramatic elements. Um, you can sort of play a real person and not just be, mm. you know, a big caricature all the time. Mm. That's so okay. nice. 
I mean, I did, it's not anything. I mean, thank you. I, I don't even know. It's so, I, I mean, it's so chaotic. Like I, I don't, you know, in my twenties or whatever, when I, after I went to, to school and I landed in New York, it was never, I never wanted to, or needed to go one direction or the other. It was kind of, I, you know, it was like standing in line for the backstage at Astor Place. Do you remember the backstage? Did you guys ever deal? deal? You did, Megan. Did you ever, uh, Nick? Yeah, out here. It was like a, it was like a magazine or, you know, like a newspaper that you would go to get auditions. Basically, oh, like yeah. Back yeah. In the day. We had it. Uh, I mean, yeah, we had it in, in Chicago, Chicago and LA. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it was like, I didn't, it wasn't like I really gravitated towards sketch or needed to do like improv or anything. I always thought I was going to be a theater actor. Like I never really thought it was going to be comedy. So it was, I don't know. It's I, I love taking a big swing as much as I do the other stuff. So it does kind of feel like it's been a little bit of chaos this career. (laughs) <laughs> in, ter- in terms of in terms of the the gigs but um uh yeah I mean, you're I love- really one of the i think you're one of the best actresses out there you're one of my favorites oh god damn sure. it yeah now what is that movie up. we talked about this when i saw you um at that party on oscar night uh, we talked about that first movie that indie movie that you did that jill soloway directed oh afternoon delight yeah see mm. we went to a screening of that you were there actually and we loved it i remember it. yeah we loved it yeah, you meant said it so was so much that you guys were both there it was so good you were really great in it mm. so and you said that uh you know you didn't know making it that it uh, you know how it's going to turn out you weren't really sure but it came out it was great yeah, that was like a real, I mean, I knew that it was special. I knew that it was going to be special just because I had never been asked to be the lead in something before. So I knew the experience was going to feel different because I was going to be carrying something in a way that I hadn't since school. Like I think when, again, like back to school, like that feeling of having to carry something in those parts that felt like there was a weight to them and that I was asked to do something that I, um, that used parts of me that I hadn't been asked to in this business, I guess, um, that I, so I knew that that was going to be, be satisfying in a way that a lot of the parts that I had been asked to do out here had not been. Um, but in the, I, I didn't have any expectation with how it was going to be received or what it was going to turn out to be. It, it was the first time for a lot of us on that set. Um, it was Jill Soloway, uh, directed it and wrote it. And, um, it was Junu Temple and Josh Radner. A lot of people. Keegan was so awesome in it. Michael oh, he's Key. Always he was great, so yeah. good. Michaela Watkins. It was mm-hmm. like an awesome group of people. This guy, Jimmy Frona, was the DP who was incredible. And he went on to do all of Transparent. He just did Big Little Lies this last season. And he's, he's a, an incredible um, DP. And so, yeah, it ended up being like an ama- amazing group of people that um, uh, he also did I Love Dick. But yeah, it was like three, it was like a three week shoot. We ended up like they rented a car for me. They couldn't get the can- camera equipment in it. So we ended up using my minivan. <laughs> like <laughs> so it ended up just being like this amazing 
just like this, the holiest, holiest, holiest of experiences. And then it just kind of like set a weird new bar for myself that I had never, I just had not had that out here at all. Like I just kind of had all this theater, had all this like, oh, like churning feeling of, of, of pleasure of working for like no money until I was 30 something. And then came out here and had a new experience, which was making money, but not really feeling that same feeling. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was start- starting to wed together at a time in my life, almost 40, that I was like, oh, well, this can happen like this. I had thought that the opposite would happen. Like I had no idea that that was going to be, that, that it could be wedded together. So that was like a very happy su- surprise. I guess me. I didn't really know that you were thinking you were going to be a theater actor because that's Nick and I both had that same thing. Mm. Um, I did I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Where did you oh. go to college? Um, I went to Northwestern undergrad. Oh, oh yeah. Me too. Did we not know this? I, I, don't I think- guess not. <laughs> we don't do any research and that's becoming. No, I can't believe that we, moment. I didn't know this about you. Uh-uh. I, I went for two, I only went for two years. I didn't, because uh, I started doing theater in Chicago, so I didn't, I didn't go back. You know, I tried to go back my junior year, but it was a little too much. So I'm a college dropout, but yeah, I Northwestern. Well, yeah, because you're such a goddamn stud. You just went into <laughs> right into working. I had nothing. I was just like eternal student. Um, I, yeah, I went to Northwestern. That's where I met Ethan, actually. Oh. Yeah, we've been together forever, forever and ever. But yeah, I, Went to Northwestern, and then when we moved to New York, I was there for a while, and then I went to Yale. But I, I went to Yale Drama School when I was like later. I, went, I was like 27 when I went. Um, and then did theater. But like, you know, off, 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 off Broadway. But then I did like seven years of Williamstown Theater Festival, mm. um, which was the dreamiest. But like started as a non-ec or, you know, started their, in their experimental and then as a non-ec where they kind of like hand you a Makita and some, and some <laughs> sugar and have you tear down sets at three in the morning. And then, um, but I worked with some amazing playwrights and um, that was the best. And then they turned to me equity and then I kind of continued that while I was at Yale. At so, Williamstown. so Williamstown when was the last was really time fun. you did a play? Uh, it was Boeing, Boeing, which was like a. Oh, we saw yeah. that. Yeah, you were great in that. Uh, when, I loved what year it. was that? Uh, that was a long time ago now. Too long ago. Two thousand eight, probably right. Yeah, because that's when so, I was doing Young Frankenstein, I think. Yeah. Oh, with uh, Chris Fitzgerald, and, who I haven't seen in a yes, years. Yes, and you guys had a show maybe on a Sunday night or a Monday because we were able to see to see it. You was one of the few, or maybe you did your, you know. I don't know. Oh, right. Shows, the, special shows, shows for the called. other actors. Yeah. Oh, God. I loved that experience. So that was, it was, I had a, Leonard, our son was about, um, a, not even a year. So that made it, I thought it was going to be an easier gig than it was, but it was. Um, They're never, <laughs> eight shows uh, a week is never easy. It was the, it was, and Young Frankenstein was a long time, was a long run too. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did it for oh, I don't know, altogether so over a year, a year and a half or something like that. But I think I only did it. You know, we were out of town for a long time, so we rehearsed it in New York, and then we did it in Seattle for two months. Oh, uh, so yeah, but and then we did it. I, I think I was did it on Broadway for like a year. And yeah, that um, was 
Uh, it was so, fun. Well, that was the only show I did on that's the only show I did on Broadway. I'd love to go back, but um how can was, we describe what it's like doing eight shows a week to people who aren't in the performing arts? Like what would you compare it to? Like being on an assembly line or something? I know. Well, what's crazy <laughs> is you think like people think like, oh, once you're up, then it's only a few hours of your day, but it's not because no, like it's your whole life. It's your whole life because like once it's about three o'clock, your engine just turns towards it. And mm-hmm. then you just can't stop thinking like that. Your whole heart, your whole, like basically your solar plexus is just like your inner compass is just like towards the stage. Like you can't think about anything else. Like you're just basically there. So yeah. you can't focus on anything else. And then once you're done, you, you kick it to bed before two in the morning. Like it's great. You're, you're after the show wraps, your adrenaline is just like racing towards. Absolutely. Yeah. You're burning, you're burning an engine that's not uh, calibrated to put out like an eight hour work day or a 10 hour work day. It's calibrated to burn two very hot hours. And so, like you say, you start stoking it. If you can't go out and do something, you can't go on a hike in the morning because when you then go to fight rehearsal at 6 p.m., you're like, oh, man, I, I really feel that I burned that energy this morning. That was a mistake. It's almost yeah. easier just to keep going. Like the two show days are almost easier because if you have a Sunday matinee, then you don't have another show till Tuesday night. And you think, oh, great. I have like you know almost two whole days off. Well, then you're in a panic on all day Tuesday thinking, oh, no, I, <laughs> I can't I can't do it. I can't get my energy. You know, how did I do that just exactly. on Sunday? And some people, I mean, not very many. Most people, when they're doing a show, go out every night after the show and stay up really late, sleep really late. I've only known one person, Andrea Martin, who was in Young Frankenstein. Oh, I but, love her. Yeah, she's so great. And oh. She's the only person I've ever known out of all the shows I've done that was, she would go right home and go to bed. She'd be asleep by like 1130. <laughs> I don't know how you could possibly do that. I don't even understand it. Yeah. And she's get just up a early, creature. go to the gym. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I, I know it's, it's a, it's a tricky. And if it's a musical, which um, most of the shows I've done on Broadway have been musicals or most of the, not all, but I mean, it's like, more than half of the shows I've done in theater have been musicals, probably like seventy oh. percent. And so then there's that whole other added component of like, you know, oh my god, is it still there? Can I sing? Am I warmed up? Like, do, am I getting? God forbid, you're getting a cold or something because you can work through a cold in a play, but if it's a musical, that there's a chance you might have to miss shows. Oh, I would love to see you do a musical. Oh, that's nice. I there's nothing like it. I can't imagine. I want to see it so. I want. I do have any plans in the future. Well, I saw you do your live show with. Oh God, damn it, my brain. When you did it, oh, Seth that Rudesky? beautiful. Yes. No, oh. wait, no. With the woman, the woman is that oh. her name? No, um, Nancy and Beth, the band. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Oh, and that was so fucking extraordinary the two of you guys i saw it largo yeah i think you came on that infamous night when we invited a lot of people to come and they actually came and it was like our worst show we've ever had uh not a disclaimer just an irony 
a vast irony. Well, that's I don't the, know. I beg to differ on that, but that's very but nice. Well, of yeah, there's this original musical that it's called Hooray for Ice Boy that um, there was just a workshop of it that I did. And Nick was actually in it, too. We just did it. Uh, it's like the last thing we did before we all got quarantined. And um, yeah. it's something I really want to do. It's a really crazy, weird, funny. It's um, some of the people who wrote that show, Urine Town, which was a great Broadway show. Yeah. It's really um, kind of meta. It's by those people and some people who worked on Spelling Bee, which is another great Broadway show. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I really, really want to do. And it's a great part. And the thing that I've never gotten to do is a really, really great part. I've gotten to do good parts, but not great parts. That oh would really God, I'm show everything. Fingers crossed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> me too. It's me so hard to get stuff done. Um, I know. Yeah. Trying to get it. Get somebody to produce. You know it. that you can live stream now too. Like a lot of like the bra. I mean, I'm sure you know this, but I guess like Lincoln sent. Like there's a lot of, um, and the Met. I think. I mean, I haven't done any of this, but I guess you can live stream. Like the opera has like a bunch of like all their arch- archival musicals. There's like a, anyway, just in inspiration. I've been, I was th- thinking about doing it for the kids too, but I oh. guess there's a lot of like oh. archival musicals or th- things like that. Or the Yeah. Um, all the Broadway perfor- shows I've done have been archived. I think it's. Oh, Lincoln I'm sure Center. that I could see, yeah. see them then through that, which would be fantastic. Yeah. I don't think they archived for some weird reason. I think I remember somebody saying that, or I think I remember that they, they didn't archive um, this production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying that I did back in the, it was like ni- 1995. Oh, yeah, with Broderick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was, that was like an iconic Yeah, he won the show Tony for that. It was, it was a really good production. But I don't think they archived that for some weird reason. Mm. I don't remember why. But, or maybe they did. I don't know. Anyway, um, it would be nice to go back and see some of those things. Yeah. Matthew Matthew probably has it on video cassette, and he's he's holding out. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I have I have bootleg uh, audio tapes of it. Somebody sent me. Um, but yeah, uh, so much fun. That's so cool, though. I didn't really realize you were a theater actor. A bunch and- of theater kids. Which, by the way, uh, not to buzz market, but earlier Catherine dropped a little slang. And for those of you that are not in the habit of uh, building theater scenery in the 1980s and 90s, a Makita, <laughs> the first big cordless drill that hit the scene was an enormous uh, aqua blue Makita, 9.6 yep. Oh, volt. I wondered what you guys were talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is, mm. that not in, is that not on the scene anymore? Did I just drop something from the early? Well, from the early. Makita... Uh, like Makita was the, <laughs> was ubiquitous. Like Makita was the Kleenex of uh, or the Q-tips of, uh, oh, sure, of cordless sure, sure. drills. Sure. But, but now there's Dewalt in Milwaukee and there's Porter Cable. There are several brands. Sure, sure. That have, that have, oh, but the Makita that was the classic. Yeah. Set building tool. It was, <laughs> and it was the most. Nothing has been more pistol like. You you right. had it in a holster on your belt. It was yeah. Right, it was like a bright turquoise. It was like a turquoise, like a blue, right? That's right. Or 
Yeah. Yeah, it was turquoise. Makita. Yeah, exactly. We built all that. the sets. That's all so the funny. sets for all the plays. Even back at Northwestern, I feel like we did. I was like, that was my job at Northwestern, though, that I was like, because, you know, we did, I had to do um, for my, uh, I guess, because I was all on loans and like, you know, I had to have like a student, like I had to have a job, of course, because I was all, um, uh, it was all like loans and scholarships and yada, yada. So I had to get um, a job at the prop shop. That was my job. So I was like in the props department at Northwestern. That was like great, crazy haunted place up those little stairs. I I know it well. I used to build yes. uh, props for a guy named Ed Bevan in that prop shop. Yes. Uh, I feel like that rings a bell. Yeah he he was um he was Steppenwolf's prop guy, and then he t- became full time at Northwestern. So in the mid nineties, when I was there, I was building scenery. I fucking love props. I love props. I love Nick's handling them. I just love, I just love the whole. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's built some pretty crazy props in his day. Uh, in, in case the acting thing didn't work out, I, I was known as uh, the, the, the uh, unique prop builder. Wait, did you have other jobs? Um, I was a reception well i was a receptionist at a hair salon um my cousin got me the job when i first moved to new york and that was um a very fancy hair salon it was called garen new york and it was it sounds like a sketch it was totally i would I had my one banana banana republic suit that was shiny on the shoulders because I had dry cleaned it so many times. It was like black. <laughs> it was the only one I had that was basically <laughs> totally shiny because I had had to dry clean it so many times. I once walked in and Garen was like, honey. And I looked down and I had drooled toothpaste down my boob. Like when I walked like in the morning, cause I didn't realize I was, they all the, all the guys who worked there got together one Christmas and bought me a Mason Pearson hairbrush. Cause they were oh. like, you got, you got to brush your hair. Cause I like still, even back then, like I was like, had never ever dealt with my hair. Um, it was like $85 blow dries back then, which was insanity. This was in 95. I mean, it's still insanity. I mean, it was like I couldn't wrap my mind around somebody paying. I just was like, what are you? And this was like on the weekly, like women had like standing appointments to blow dry their hair. I'm like, I came from Ohio. Like I was like, what the fuck is happening? Pardon my French. Like I had, this was a world that I knew nothing about. And they would get cappuccinos sent up from, it was at Henry Bendel. And people would get their cappuccinos sent up like, to have with the, their blow, getting their blow dry. I was like, what is happening? And there was a Mac counter and there was a guy, um, uh, um, one of the, I just remember one of the guys, one of the bull, one of the guys that would help with like one of the assistants. We were always trying to find him and he was always inevitably up at the manicure station painting his toenails vamp. Do you remember that color vamp? Chanel yes, vamp? of course. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was just like, and at, at some point, Garen, um, 
he wanted to do something with my hair. So it was back when they were doing those like big chunky and Bancroft skunk stripes in the front of their, in the front of your hair. Oh so he totally God. did these like big chunky white, like Anne Bancroft graduate skunk stripes in the front of my hair. And we, Ethan and I were living in a one room studio apartment on East 61st between first and second. And you looked out your window and you saw scores. Do you remember scores? It was like an old, well, strip club. Yes, thank you. Nick's, yeah. like, Nick's like, what are you talking about? I have no, no idea not, what you could possibly... I've read of see, such things. <laughs> but you could see scores from our window, and you could also see the 59th Street Bridge. Wait, what street were you on? On East 61st. Oh, okay. First yeah. and second. Uh-huh. And... This is such a tangent, but I, it was, this is, I'll get back to the, I'll get back to the skunk stripes. But I remember that when we first got this apartment, we, it was the first time we'd lived together after Northwestern. We had to put our albums together for the first time. And our, and while we put our, our records together, he had, um, oh God, what's the song? We didn't know that the song was called, uh, the 59th street bridge song. Feeling groovy. Yes. So we couldn't believe it that that was actually the, anyway, it was very tender, sweet, <laughs> our first cute. moving together. But anyway, so he woke up to me in this one room studio to me basically like bawling because it was so stressful trying to make our $600 a month rent. And they give, and I had my Mason Pearson hairbrush and it was stuck in my fucking hair because I was trying to do my freaking Anne Bancroft hair to go into work at this goddamn hair salon that I hated so fucking much. All I wanted to do was act and I couldn't find a goddamn job. And I was trying to make my hair work. And he looked at me like I was basically trying. The only mirror was above our kitchen sink that was wedged between a shower and our door. Like we had no, like, you know what I mean? It was like one of those apartments where like you open the front door and you hit the shower. Like it was like, it was, everything was falling apart. He like woke up to me just like with the hairbrush, which was like the most expensive thing I owned. Basically it was like a $90 hairbrush twisted into my skunk stripe anyway those were the the days guys that's so funny though because when i was i was doing a show in new york at that time i was doing how to succeed and you know it was the first time that i uh had well not i mean not really but it was a time when i was you know making money every week and so i somebody told me about this fancy salon it wasn't your salon i wish it had been but it was his name was edward something and i that was the name of the salon and it was on the east upper east side of course and for some reason he cut my hair himself i'm not sure how that could be but he did this crazy thing where he would trim your hair and it was incredibly terrifying after when he was done trimming your hair then the pièce de résistance was he would take his scissors and he would go in a circle really fast around you like two or three times with the scissors just going like this on your hair, just oh my God. cutting. I mean, it was so scary. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm lucky that I wasn't, you know, made. Was it Edward Scissorhands? I mean, but seriously, like, I keep thinking that maybe Tim Burton, like, went or heard about somebody going Honestly. to that salon and like literally made the movie. But I think the movie was before that actually. Or <laughs> one of them got the idea from the other one, I'm sure. But that's amazing. It was he so was, scary. That's terrifying. He's um he was this guy Garen though ended up being like he was such 
they all were like so my auntie mames when I first came to that city though they were so, took such good care of me like I have such soft, soft spots for that salon experience and when I when I got into Yale because I was working there at the time and I couldn't fucking believe it and again like I it was all on like well you know I mean I had so much fucking debt I'm so sorry I'm swearing so much guys oh I, yeah um, we're so offended. Please, please don't tell my parents. <laughs> but I, um, I had so much debt. But they were so excited for me. It was like my, my little like, you know, makeshift New York family. Like they, they were so excited because they had seen me. I mean, you know, I was doing these plays that were like off, 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 off. So not so off Broadway that you were like, you have not only will you have to find 12 people to buy tickets if you want to do the play? Like, it was like a scam. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> to do theater. Like, it was like, totally. I was so crazy there. But I just was so desperate that they were, anyway, they were, they took really good care. That's but so I mean, that, nice. that was like until I was 27. Like, it, so shit didn't really start happening for me and for um, a long time time i mean it's so weird the the course of events like nothing really happened for me until i was you know l- later yeah so i just like it's so um you know who could who could have thunk it well it's i find so, that mm-hmm. really inspiring uh because i remember when Nick's i was still waiting for his big break yeah so i mean inspired. one day if it happened maybe i should look for a salon to work in yeah uh, but the the idea that you know that there's no one right or wrong way there's no yeah there's no clear path it's so different for everybody's different context and like i, I just remember when i was a young actor i would uh the, the most successful actor from my area the, the chicagoland area was john cusack so mm. for years i would i would just be very aware of what he was doing and how i wasn't keeping up with him where I was like, God yeah. damn it, Cusack did another three this year, and I haven't, I don't have, I don't have my SAG card yet. <laughs> and then eventually, that became too depressing. But then William H Macy d- did Fargo, and he was like forty three or something when when he sort of had his big break. And I was like, Oh, you can, you can everybody. It's different for everybody, and so. So then I was like, all I got to do is get to 43. <laughs> you, totally. You never know. It could, it could. But, you know, but in anything, in any, you know, profession or in relationships. I mean, I was 41 when I met Nick. And that was my mm. big break. Boom. Oh, God damn it. Boom. That's true. Uh, you know, because people get panicky. Yeah. Don't yeah. panic. It's not always going to. You know, you're not going to be at the top of your field when you're 23 years old. Very few people are in whatever profession. And then sometimes, a lot of, or a lot of the time, I think people who get too much success too soon kind of flame out. Well, I also think that there's such, you know, which is what I'm finding more interesting the older I get, which I also didn't expect this to happen, is that I feel like it's like the juiciest most creative like time has been since I've been in in my mid 40s like it's very strange and also what the world had been telling me to expect the opposite of like I I am I am finding um I'm 
rejecting that. And it's, it's also just becoming because, because I'm rejecting that it's just becoming more and more <laughs> the truth that it's not the case. Yeah. Like I'm finding that very, I'm finding it the most inspired chapter of my life. I agree. And also I think it's, I think it's because I, a, a lot of things, I think I wasn't ready to meet these parts when I was in my twenties. I feel like I wasn't, um, I think I was definitely in my own way. I think I didn't have the confidence for many, many, so many reasons. I feel like I was almost acting the part of an actor in my twenties, if that makes sense. I think I was trying to be something that I just wasn't instead of just, especially out here. I don't know what that means. I just feel like my, my fullest self was when I was in theater. And so I feel like I, I, it took me a long time to get to back to that place in this medium. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's been like a real revelation I, that it's just taken a second to get to. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, right. That feeling like that feeling is the feeling. Like I don't have to pretend that this shouldn't be always the feeling like it does. Like, why do I have to save that yeah. for my scrappy on, ensemble? Yeah. Totally. Uh, you know, like that should always like that isn't like this precious thing that I just have on a stage. That should always be the feeling when yeah, I'm making I, something. It's so weird. But I'm kind of looking for what you're talking about because I I haven't been able to break out of just playing gigantic character uh, comedy characters, like really over the top comedy characters. Like I very, very, very rarely have had a chance to do anything even remotely like a real person or that has more, you know, of a settled dynamic. But I'm trying to figure out what my purpose is creatively now, you know, because maybe it's just to stay home and read books and, you know, not be in the public I anymore. I don't, I don't really know. I'm really up in the air about it and I'm totally fine with whatever it turns out to be. Simmer and see just like what rises. Yeah. Maybe you write it yourself. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or not, you know, or we're not exactly. (laughs) That's almost who knows, who knows what will like what's around whatever creative corner. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because I feel like it's something that I haven't really necessarily articulated, but there's almost a taboo around just stopping and being okay with it. Like, yeah, I think especially with performers, I think that people think because it seems like it's proven true in most cases that if you're an actor or a musician or whatever, that you are going to be doing it until you're 95 years old. And you're like, I got to get that next part. I got to make another album, you know, all of that stuff. And, (laughs) and you're going to talk like that. And it's just not (laughs) true. Um, it's not true for me, but I feel like I, I don't know if I ever necessarily really wanted to be an actor. I just kind of stumbled into it because I, I'm a, I'm more of a, Singer, singer and my singing got me into in order to yeah so it's kind of a weird thing now now that i 
like certain things have transpired and changed my feelings about things. And now I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I could also just sit in nature and, um, you know. Oh, well, you're a goddess whatever you choose to do. And you are absolutely right. You don't have to, There, it's your path. And like you just see what rises. Like to, you're, you're absolutely right. If it doesn't have, who, who cares? It's your path. You take a second, whatever you decide. Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody on the planet wants to exercise their creativity in whatever way they they can. You know, not in the arts. I mean, in any in any profession or or lack thereof, you want to feel like you're creating. And so, look what you're doing right now. I mean, this is awesome that you guys are doing this. Like, this is. Yeah, I mean, this podcast is, is this is, I mean, look, the, who would have thought that this would have been happening? Like, this I is know. a new. I know. Well, it's, uh, you it's make nice. a very good point, though, that um, to to the outside, especially I think in show business, in in our uh, our culture of consumerism and capitalism, people assume that if if we're not, let's say you do right. a hit TV series for ten years, and then you do a couple movies. And then you're lucky enough to do a, a really good streaming series for four years. Then maybe you're like, wow, that was really lucky. That was a really lucky 16 years of work. I don't, I, I now I think it'll be hard to find something as fulfilling as that 16 mm-hmm. years. So my creativity turns to something that's not in the public eye, that, that's not going to get me in a magazine. Maybe it's taking care of. Family members, well, maybe it's gardening. Money or- has a lot to do with this too, because I think that people have a hard time understanding that you wouldn't want to continue to do the thing that that you've been the most successful at making money at. Right. You know, and to say, oh, I don't want to make that much money anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I'm saying, but that's well, no, part of it. it is because part there of are it. very few professions that are going to pay like. Say what Will and Grace just paid. Yeah, you, that you, just doesn't happen. You you get uh, one of those winning lottery tickets, like a network mm-hmm. sitcom that's amazing, like Will and Grace, and that gives that opens up the, your options. Then, do you feel like are you talking about? Because I hear you like about the cultural the the cultural stigma that we have of somebody being able to say like in this culture of like do 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 do. Yeah, and be famous. Being, be like, famous. I'm be done. famous. Right. Yeah. I totally yeah, I don't, hear you. I don't care about being famous at all. I never did. Yeah. Um, and I don't like the culture around yeah, fame. Yeah, either. You, of course not. You know, none of our friends, I mean, we're all like-minded in that regard. You know, none of us are in it for that reason. And that whole thing is all fake anyway. The whole concept of Hollywood is just a man-made construct. It doesn't even exist. You know, it's a it, it's it's job. It's, it's just a like real any other Hollywood sign. No, I've seen it. <laughs> that, I have seen that it is the most real thing about Hollywood is the Hollywood <laughs> sign. I can <laughs> we can say that with certainty. But this <laughs> that is so have, true. I, with certain, I have seen that sign. <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. (laughs) 
so speaking, of, this is a, a maybe a good opportunity to ask you about looking around other creative opportunities. Uh, don't you have a children's book that uh, that you're prepared to talk about? I love you. I did have a children's book that came out. That was a few years ago, but yes, I do. It, but I we can't. Talk, I would love to talk about it now. Okay, I want to talk about the fact that. So this podcast, the way we do it is we ask the guests if there's a certain topic that they want to discuss, like, you know, health or um, automobiles or, you know, I don't know, anything. And what we got back from probably not you, I'm now guessing, is that you desperately wanted to talk about your children's book. Please do not cut this out if anyone's going to edit this down because I love this so much. Maybe. So I was like, wow, that doesn't sound like Catherine to Can me. Can we get the rights to the song? She really is, She's given us specific instructions that <laughs> she wants the entire episode to be about her children's book. <laughs> like, that just doesn't sound like Catherine Hahn. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought it up and then you were just looking at us like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> and we were in the middle of this really that. philosophical I discussion. I did have a children's book and I'm very proud of it. It came out a couple of years ago and it is adorable. What's it called? Um, it's called My Wish for You. Oh, yeah. Okay. I and it's, I, I kind of co-wrote it with my daughter, and it's really, Aww, really, really sweet. Yeah, it came out so a couple cute. of years ago. I think that's why I was surprised. Okay, well, I'm question. glad that we but, and got that we out of our laugh. systems. But I am very um, proud of it. It's really sweet. I like your kids. You your kids have great names, May and Leonard. Yeah. Those are delicious. such good names. They're both. They're good eggs. They yeah. really are. Did you always want to have kids? or? Um. I was kind of like, I was, a, I, I just was one of those things that I figured would happen, but it wasn't yeah. like I was dying to, or mm -hmm. was like, I couldn't wait to hold one. I was like, never one of those kids that was like, I couldn't wait to be a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, what if I just panned and my daughter's just like sitting right here. <laughs> Covered in her own feces. <laughs> no, but like, but, um, uh, but I certainly now is like, it's, you know, I can't imagine it not. And they've been, I mean, it's been, they're amazing. Like they're, it's, I can't imagine these humans not existing. That's for so sure. nice. Yeah. yeah. I never had that, you know, burning desire, but I think I, I, I think I didn't think about it that much when I was younger. And then as I got older and was in relationships and, you know, having sex and, suddenly realized that I could actually become pregnant. And then I realized that I desperately did not want to become pregnant. And I don't know yeah. what that means or why, but that's just, you know, the way it is. Yeah. That's nature. No, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It was not, I mean, and it's, I have plenty of pals that don't and plenty, and plenty of pals that are trying plenty of pals that are, um, you know, it's, a, it's, in this particular family, we were like, it's two. And then there was like, I had a morning period afterwards. So I'm like, oh, I guess we're done. And, you know, I was called a geriatric mother when I had, when I got pregnant at 35, which was like, wow. You know, and I had done this movie called Private Life. And that was about a couple going through IVF. 
which kind of opened my eyes up to a whole world that I had no idea about um, that and just what a bill of kind of a bill of goods were sold in terms of, um, you know, woman's, a woman's reproductive timeline. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of intense. It's just like, it is a real biological bummer that we're our chief kind of money-making or career years happen to coincide with our most fertile. Mm-hmm. It's just a bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're saying that everybody's, the, the the party line is like, don't worry, women are having babies in their 40s, right? Yeah, and it's actually yeah. not, it's actually the, it's actually not that easy. Yeah, I mean, women and do have very, babies in they, their 40s, but of it's course, rare. Yeah. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But the I, the IVF, I guess, or the that those kind of things, or the freezing of the eggs, all these things that women are doing are actually not maybe as easy as it seems. No, no, no. I think they're. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they're very hard, and then uh, costly, but also very co- costly, really expensive, really hard on you emotionally, costly. mentally, physically. But then also potentially really dangerous. I don't, I think the jury is still out as to whether yeah. that, that kind of stuff is a carcinogen. You know, I don't think people really know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've um, never heard like a great IVF story. Yeah. I mean, know? I've heard good out. I mean, I've heard yeah. people having, but yes, the experience never, doesn't right. sound really joyful. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, would you, because if not, we can just cut this part out. But would you feel comfortable talking about what we talked about for a long time at that party when I saw you um, about um, your capacity to do love scenes? Sure. Okay, good. Okay, so let me just set it up by saying that. Um, just let me have a quick sip of my Pim's cup. Yeah, girl. No, it's my iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine uh, has done a lot of movies where she's had to do um, sex scenes, for lack of a better word. And I really admire your ability to do that because you're so, I don't know. I just feel like, I think I asked you, I was like, how do you do that without, you know, feeling self-conscious and, uh, or I don't know, freaking out. I mean, if I knew I had anything like that coming up, which I never will now because I'm 61, but <laughs> even back back in the day, um, I think I would have like freaked out about it to the point where I wouldn't have been able to function on the day. And you said you don't even think about it. To you, it's just another scene like any other. So how do you? Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, well, a couple things. First, I would say that I've been in regular, like, smooching scenes in network shows that have felt more uncomfortable than some of the, the I guess, like, sex scenes that I've been asked to do in some of these other shows. Hmm. Um, because the gaze feels different. It's like the, you're just being looked at through, like, a, hmm, like a, a hmm. different sort of, like, and it doesn't feel as it just doesn't feel as safe or comfortable because you're being asked like, they're you know, trying to sell something. They're trying to sell something. You're just being, you know, you, there's a spray tan gun, you know, held at you and they're the chicken cutlets and that, you know, someone wow. is trying to like do something to you that they're you. So you already don't feel like you're looking like something that they 
are wanting you to look like, or you're just trying to be, you know, you see all the lights set up and you're like, oh, brother. So you already don't feel like you can really like be lost. Mm-hmm. Just do your job. Mm-hmm. So that's A. So B, when it comes to the, to the work that you're talking about with, I guess, these, la- these <clears throat> last two shows, especially I would say like in this last show I did Mrs. Fletcher. Um, I'll just say for that, I'll just talk about that show. That show was the first time I had worked with some, someone called an intimacy coordinator. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that until you said it. And then recently we were watching High Maintenance and there was a character whose job was is to no be way. an intimacy mm-hmm. co- coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do an episode about an, about an intimacy coach who's like a, a who, fight choreographer. Who meets a guy. Yeah, it's like a, for, it's like a fight choreographer. Yeah. I she mean, meets a guy who's asexual. That's amazing. I have not seen that show yet, by the way. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's, yeah, it's good. Um, so, and I would say the same thing on I Love Dick too. Like I, even though both shows were not all written before I had signed on, I, I signed on with, of course, complete clarity, um, and transparency of knowing exactly what I was walking into and, um, knowing what, what to expect and knowing like the nudity and knowing all that. So I was, it's not like I was blindsided by anything walking in and also knowing it was very important to me that, that in both circumstances, they were going to be directed all by women. Um, except for, I love Dick. One episode was directed by Jimmy Frona, who is our DP of all the other episodes who we had talked about him before also. So high degree of trust. Um, and that doesn't always have to be the case, but I just, it was important for me that I knew it. And yeah. so in the case of Mrs. Fletcher, you know, it's like always, it's like I, you just want to feel like you have a, that you're in control in those, in those scenes and that your scene partner is also like, so that you, you, the idea of the closed set is really valuable. You're just like the least amount of people in the room and that the, um, the the thing I liked about this intimacy coordinator part, although the the, the title is hilarious, <laughs> but the but that you know that your scene partner has been talked to ahead of time as well, so that when you walk in together on the day, you know that you are both the parameters have been set, oh, so that you're great. not questioning his or her um, d- doubts or nerves. So that you know that you're both like, there's no like, uh, 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 like, you know that they're, you're not like, is this okay? Is it like, everybody knows the terms mm-hmm. so that you can just like get down to the business, like so much faster. It just, it just feels like, um, there's somebody there that's both of your advocates at the same time. That's not the director because so that the director doesn't have to worry about, um, doing that as, as well. So, and that person is also your advocate and the director's advocate. Like it's all, it just is another person in the room that is looking out. That's like over the whole thing, looking out for everybody's safety in the, mm-hmm. in a way that I was like, oh, this is a job that should always have existed. Like, honestly, well, isn't I it just made it's, so much sense to it's me. It's ironic. Uh, well, ironic isn't even the right term. It's sad. Um, but somehow not surprising that this job didn't come about, I don't think, until the whole, like, Me Too, 
Harvey Weinstein yeah. movement. No, because exactly. Of, because they didn't have to do it. See, right. they didn't have to do it. So they didn't do it, but they should have done it all along. Well, I mean, I'll say like, you know, usually like before it had been my, like in I Love, like for I Love Dick, we didn't have it. And I felt, again, like I had felt very completely, completely safe in that regard because I'd always approached those scenes. I love my scene partners in that. Like there was complete trust there. Again, it was like a stripped down room. That room is like a family. Like I should like not, you know, not like, a, but it felt very safe. Like I knew that who was behind the monitor was closed set. I had it. I and my scene partner had a say final word as to who was allowed in the room. Um, my wardrobe person was kind of, kind of also my, um, she kind of also functioned as an intimacy coordinator weirdly in that, you know, like she was there always with the robe. Mm -hmm. So she's the, she was the, their person to be like always, um, uh, right there basically Mm -hmm. in the corner of the room. Yeah. Blair Witch, Blair Witch style. And then it's like, it just functions like, again, it really did feel like any other scene in the day. Like, it just feels like if you put any other onus or any other time on it, it just, if you drag it out any longer, then it becomes like, you just want to make sure it is just like a, a scene in the day. Yeah. Like see, that's the thing about your, your thinking about it that I was so interested in is that you think of it in that way. You don't put any importance on it outside of just being part of the job that you need to get done. Yeah. It, it, sh- it shouldn't be any more, more than that. It's a, it's a part of the story that's being told. And if, and it's just an, yeah, it's a scene in the day. It mm-hmm. would be hard. It would be very strange if there was more onus on any of those scenes and my humble opinion, it should yeah. just be a, a scene in the day. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that you can think about it in that way, and I, I, I think it's a really, very powerful. I don't know if most women can think of it in that way. I'm not sure. Maybe they all do. I don't know. Hmm. But I, I think you might be in the minority. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I they were very important to the stories that I agreed and wanted to tell. Um, and again, it was very powerful for me. And I'll just use those two as examples in I Love Dick and in Mrs. Fletcher in that they both were kind of, in my mind, were flipping the idea of female pleasure inside out of the ga- on the gaze on how we, are, we were able to look at it. It did, felt very feminine for me, yeah. the gaze. So it didn't feel like it was... Um, no, it's coming from like a feminist standpoint, basically those roles. And you're also working. Yeah. And you're also working on pretty cool projects with cool people, smart people. You're not talking about a network show or some big freaking studio movie, a, you know, hundred million dollar shit show. You know, you're, you're, you're working on cool projects to begin with, which helped. Well, it was, inter- it was just, again, it was exploring to me interesting, an interesting chapter in a woman's life and women's lives that um, have historically been a time of invisibility. And so I was excited about 
you know, shining a light on that. And then all, you know, also just, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think politically when I take jobs, like I'm not, I, but Mm -hmm. I, I thought they were just juicy and interesting and complicated parts. But like, I, I also knew that going into it, the, the gaze was not going to be aggro or male on it. Mm -hmm. We were just going to be going on from the inside. Not that that's like, uh, you know, not that that's like the only barometer, but for those particular projects, it was interesting for me to, to explore going inside a woman's experience Mm -hmm. of, um, in the case of, I love Dick, just obsession and desire and creative, just like creative explosion. And for, um, for Mrs. Fletcher, just pleasure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Finding herself. Yeah. Also, also so that's so, it's so cool. And um, ball, but. obsession is such a cool subject to explore too, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I find it as the guy in this conversation, I also find it just as inspiring um, the, uh, because it's true across the board, this whole, the, the way our society has had this male point of view and and it's funny it is really relatable to fight choreography in, in that which is some, yeah. something i used to do in the theater a lot and it's it's whether you're dealing with men and women and whether it's rapiers and daggers or love making it's it's a sensibility of treating everybody with an equal amount of respect making everyone totally. feel safe and recognized and so what you say is certainly true like we've got a long way to go to recognize all the times and all the ways in which all of the others, including women or minorities or, you know, sexes besides straight men are recognized. And, you know, the stories are about everybody, but white guys, we got a long way to go before (laughs) we've evened the tally on that score. But even as a straight white guy, I also want, like, I want to advocate for that because it, a, because it's fair to all of the uh, minorities in every way, but also I'm a dumb, clumsy human. Like I need an intimacy coordinator. I just like anybody, I, I had more fight scenes where you would get some macho dude basically saying the equivalent, some, some version of, oh, just take a punch. Like, you know, don't be, don't be a wuss. Oh, God. Just like, just take it or just, you know, just grab her by the hair. Like, you know, and you're, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in like destroying that sensibility that like, that there's anything remotely respectable or decent about that. It's, it's shameful and misogynistic and old fashioned. So I'm as thrilled as anybody to hear this great point of view uh, that you're putting forth well you're an um, incredible awesome human being nick offerman yeah that's true gentleman gentleman and one of the best ones we have so Mm -hmm. that's no surprise to me yeah well you're you're so right about the fight because that's what it does too it's like you just also just want to know that someone is there to be like this is what it looks like on camera this is what made i mean just like it's for practical you know, just practical purposes too for any and all genders. 
and you're right. I'm so, uh, you're, you're so right about just, it's just about having just different, I mean, these, I was just talking about those two projects, but you're right. It's just for any, this is, it is, seems to be a great time for any, for all sorts of perspective perspectives just like when I, I that word gaze is so weird in terms of just like yeah it's pretty fraught. but it is so great to turn on this just to turn on the tv and start streaming stuff and just like see things now through so many other lenses maybe lenses is a better word just like I feel lucky that my kids are able to like to see things through so many other lenses right now mm-hmm. like I don't know. We I just saw this documentary called Honey Land. Oh, that oh, was we our love favorite. It so much. It yeah. was our favorite. Oh, our gosh. favorite. So good. That's interesting because that the my next question to you is gonna be what kinds of movies and television shows do you really love the most? That was my next question. Oh my god. Well that we just like blew my mind yeah. because yeah. I could not I was like the access and the intimacy they had with those that woman like couldn't believe we were at that it's unforgettable death yeah we saw that movie back um I don't know like a couple months ago um a little more than that even like maybe November December and it's vivid in my mind oh me too can't stop thinking about it yeah had the kids see it because I was like you're not they're so bored it's, thinking about it. And I was like, you guys are not going to believe it. It's nothing it's like the that world any of us have ever. Yeah. It's nothing that any of us have ever seen before. Yes. It's so ever. simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe that. And she's so relatable. I was like, I felt like I'd known her my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I want to be friends with her. Like, I just love her so much. <laughs> anyway, that really blew my mind. What else are I've you? I've uh, been watching a lot of old ones. Um, I mean, we just finished Tiger King. I don't yeah, know if you guys have seen we it. We did too. It was, <laughs> it was really a real good. great escape. Yeah. Um, it was a real great escape. Um, I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of like, we've been seeing a ton of older movies over here. Like we just saw that I hadn't seen in a million years. We just saw the big Lebowski again. Mm. And we just saw um, there will be blood again. Mm. Like we're just trying to do a lot of like first times first time watching with these guys um trying to do a little movie camp sitch we saw um uh i tried to show him the exorcist and he fell asleep within like <laughs> 30 minutes and i was like this is fucking exorcist this changed my life when i was 13 years old like it's i like it blew my mind scarred me scared the shit out of me like i couldn't stop thinking about it i was like he's like i want to see a scary movie and i was like Okay, <laughs> should not be doing this, but it's, this is gonna. And he was pretty softly tame, snoring though, yeah, while she right. was like, "Fuck me, fuck me." He was asleep, <laughs> asleep, and I was like, "Well, thank God." But I, he was like asleep. All <laughs> oh, it started to happen. That scene started happening. I was like, "Oh no, oh my God!" And then I turned over, and he was just softly snoring. <laughs> oh, I, I love was like, it. Nineteen seventy-three. Well, what are some um, of your other favorite, like all-time favorites? I mean, all-time favorites. I mean, fl- I mean, okay. This is what's going to come to my head. Fleabag, forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Woman on the Influence. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was just thinking about this, the Red, White, and Blue series, which is French, Camille Claudel. I was talking about that with my friend recently. It's a French series. Yeah, um, I've seen those. Yeah, long time those. ago. Uh-huh. Long, long time. Oh, this is long, long. These are all like high school ones for some reason that are like popping back up now. Um, I also love... Um, uh, what else do our all-time favorites? I mean, the David Lynch ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved E.T. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I love E.T. so much. Can't stand it. <laughs> oh, the soundtrack, everything. It's like an opera. It's like so perfect to me yeah. as a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I think everybody, the world is going to be a buzz about your children's book after this podcast. Yeah. So it's I really hope big. that you're happy. And I'm really glad that- <laughs> wow what an agenda this one has yeah. wait but i do have a, i do have this i mean do i do i like say what i've got coming yes. out Can I do that? yes yes please yes that's how it's done i mean i have a show on a, a, a mini series on hbo coming out <gasps> called i know this much is true Ooh. which i think is gonna be great yeah. wait i feel like i read and that book is that a book it's a Wally Lamb. Yeah, book. I read that book. Oh, that's so it's great. Beautiful. And it's yeah. Mark Ruffalo is starring as the twins. And it's directed by Derek C. in France, who's the amazing director of Blue Valentine. Oh, wow. And I think it's, and so Mark is playing twins. And it's pretty incredible. So that's coming out. Um, wow. I'm not exactly sure of the day, but soon. Oh, then, my God. Yeah. It's based what on, on the Kajagugu song. Okay. It's based on the Kaji Gugu song. Oh God, that sounds good. What else? Exactly. Um, and then there is a show called Central Park. Oh, the animated show. Yeah, that's show. our friends. The animated yeah. Show. Yeah, because yeah. I do a recurring. I'm Aunt Gail on um, Bob's Burgers, and then we're both on this oh. show called The Great North. It's a new show for Fox that two of the Bob's writers have spun off. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. I know. Yeah. So that's, that isn't is Lauren Bouchard the nicest person no, in the I world. Love yeah. How fun. All around. His, Good every people. time I've ever gone to record an episode of that show, it's been so. Fun. And he just has it down to such a science. Yeah. He knows exactly what he wants. He's just. Yeah, good, good, decent people. Yeah. So yeah, that and my children's book, guys. Oh man, it's out. a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. My wish well, for you. I watch everything that you're in as uh, it's at the top I of my to do list. I love you both so dearly. Love you. Lovers. I really do. And, Thank um, you so much for joining us. In Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.